The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. We have a jam-packed episode today. We have Daniela Monet coming on the podcast, an actress and singer turned entrepreneur, investor, food, and lifestyle advocate. She has so much to share about her TV work, her movie work as an actress, the ins and outs, some of the ugly conversations with management and agencies, working with Nickelodeon, and of course, her passion for the vegan industry. This is a wild episode. It's a wild episode with Daniela. It's a wild episode because we have another Trading Secrets viewer on talking about the copyright business, something I knew nothing about. It's a quick 10-minute segment to hear about what money you can make in the copyright business, what the business is, maybe how it could help you or your businesses, and how to get in it if you are interested. And of course, we recap with the one, the only, the curious Canadian. Hey guys, last thing I got to say before we ring in this opening bell, we are still looking for a name for our listeners, for our viewers. We have heard some amazing ones in the comments, but we haven't narrowed one yet. So make sure to go to Apple and give us a five-star review and put any suggestions you have for what we should call our listeners. And if we call them when you suggested, I'm reaching out to you, I'm sending you a hundred bucks. Enough of me. Let's ring in the bell, the opening bell with the one and only Daniela Monet. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, I am joined by actress and singer turned entrepreneur, investor, and food and lifestyle advocate, Daniela Monet. Many of you know Daniela from her numerous TV and movie performances over the last 20 years, specifically on shows such as Victorious, Zoe 101, and Nancy Drew, but that list goes on. Aside from her acting roles, she has hosted the sketch comedy series Awesomeness TV and the game show Paradise Run. However, what you may not know is that after years of appearing on television screens, Monet has pivoted from acting to focus on the development of her vegan-based business and investments. From the food industry to cosmetics, she is exercising her entrepreneurial spirit by paving the way for vegan companies to leave a mark on the industry. Today, we are going to dive into how she got in the world of child acting, her love for a healthy lifestyle, and how she leveraged all of those unique life experiences to put her in the businesses she is in today. Daniela, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Jason. This is so awesome. This is, and you are fresh from Scottsdale. We were just getting <laughs> into that. So we're going to talk, talk all things here. But where I really want to start, I think one of the cool things you've done is you've pivoted in so many different directions and it started at such a young age. So I want to go back to that because I think that has a big impact on where you are today, which is what we're going to talk about. But a childhood actor, right? Today, this past weekend, we were at Sarah Hyland's wedding and her dad gave us a speech. And during the speech, he was telling a story about when he auditioned and that at the same movie or show it was, Sarah was four years old, also auditioning. And oh, when he's wow. telling that story, it was tough for me to comprehend, but then I'm seeing the age that you started acting. Mm -hmm. How at that age do you get into acting in a role like that? Like, how do you even find an audition at eight years old? It's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in LA, actually in the Valley, but like LA adjacent. And um, I was very outgoing. I always, I think back and I'm like, wow, I feel bad for my parents. Mm -hmm. I was just probably so, I was, oh, I remember 
always wanting to have some sort of performance or dance routine going. So I think my parents realized early on that I I needed an outlet. And because we were kind of in the world a bit or close enough, they put me in auditions and one thing led to another and a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but I really enjoyed performing. And mm-hmm. so it felt really natural and fun. And I always used to say like, yeah, it's probably weird. You know, a lot of my friends are going to soccer practice or like <laughs> doing a play and I'm like away doing a Barbie commercial. And that's just, that was normal for me. That is so wild. Do you remember like the first big gig you got as a kid and what was that process like? Wow. Well, outside of commercials, I started slowly. So I, I really did a lot of commercials for mm-hmm. the majority of my childhood. But I'd say the first real gig was when I was about 14 years old, I booked my first series for CBS. It was a show called Listen Up. It was with Jason Alexander and Malcolm Jamal Warner. And it was just like the most, it felt like everything around me just changed very quickly. Like I went from doing jobs here and there to like being on a consistent series that was actually like quite a commute from my house. So I wasn't home very much at all. Pulled out of school when I wasn't filming, we were traveling, you know, I remember being in New York at the Carnegie Hall doing the upfronts for our show and being on stage as like a 13, 14 year old. I borrowed my cousin's like gown from her prom. Like, what was I doing? <laughs> like, it was all very new and wild. And it just, I guess it just set the precedence for like what could come. And that was like, yeah, a turning point for me. That is a wild economy. The reason I brought Scottsdale up in the beginning, guys, is because I wanted to circle back to that. Because one of the things you had said, I was like, man, I remember the days we partied there. We were at bottle service. And and Daniela (laughs) said that like her childhood was was a little different. Like it's not like you went to clubs like we were going to in our teens and 20s. And so I think about your childhood as a high school student, 14 years old. People, like you said, are getting ready for like homecoming and prom and stuff like that. How were you educated like through like, did you, like, how do they keep students abreast at 14 years old? And how do you try and manage pursuing your career at such a young age, but also pursuing like the lifestyle that all your other friends and and students are going through? It was really hard. It was really hard mentally for me. And I remember when I was in sixth grade, that's when my middle school started. And not only was middle school starting where it was very different from elementary school, I was also like kind of peaking in my career at the same time. Like I had tested for a show, Hannah Montana. I had tested for several other projects that were like kind of bigger deals for me. And for every, it was, I mean, Hannah Montana, huge, yeah, huge, huge, I mean, for huge. sure, it's for like sure. The pinnacle of it, yeah. And I just was like trying to balance school because I am a perfectionist in some ways. I just mm-hmm. never want to let people down, and yeah. I want to be the best at like almost everything that I do. And doing that and adjacent to a new school and all that was really hard. And I knew that I wasn't going to last. I knew that I couldn't do school and also succeed in my career, even though I was so young, I said, I can do school. I'll just have to take that outside of the actual school (laughs) and homeschool. So I did at like eighth grade, the beginning of eighth grade, I convinced my mom that I could like school myself. And so I did independent study until I convinced them that I didn't need school and I went and got my GED essentially. So (laughs) at what what age was that, that you pretty much made When I was done, done with school? Yeah, yeah. I was about 16 years old and I, at the time, had booked a movie called Taking Five where Mm -hmm. I was the youngest in the cast and I had to film in Utah. And so in order for me to go and it not be a huge headache on production, Mm -hmm. they said we're only hiring like adults. And so in our world, if you don't have schooling, 
you are technically, you can work as an adult. There won't be hourly issues. Like, so I said, I want to do this movie. It's in Utah. I know I'm only like 16 at the time, but like, I'm going to do my high school equivalency exam, which was like this, like three hour bogus test in the middle of Koreatown <laughs> in this sketchy come building. On, come on. You pay a bunch of money, you go upstairs and, and I'm not the only one. You get out. <laughs> I'm not even the only one. I won't even mention who told me about it. So I went and I took this test and I passed and I was like, cool, could do the movie. And now it, I don't have to worry about school anymore. That I was not a school kid. It <laughs> is so awesome. So there's you to get your GED, you got to go through this process, this three hour test. Do you have to like prepare for that test or is it pretty like basic questions? I'm sure that I did try to prepare, but I think it was, to be honest, if I'm, I think that they, if you pay pay the right amount, like it might be actually hard to fail is my guess. yeah, yeah. It's different than the GED. There's like another form that you can do. And I think there's other ways you could be emancipated where you basically claim that like you're more responsible than your parents in some ways. And like, I don't know, there's many loopholes, but that was the route I took. And I love, so one thing I talk about often is like breaking the blueprint because I think society kind of puts us down this path and will lead our lives for us unless we take leadership of our lives. And so many people go their entirety of their lives and careers and personal lives being led and then they have that moment in their 30s or 40s or 50s. To think about you breaking the blueprint like this and finding a way to get your GED to go full speed at 15, 16, like it's almost incomprehensible. It's wild. Another question I have for you though, if you do that, obviously you're all in with this career track. Mm -hmm. And obviously there has to be some really solid like financial success to come with it because if it doesn't work out, I guess you got to go back through that process and then yeah. go through the SATs, go to the college. How did you negotiate your value at such a young age? That's a great question. I don't know. I think I just banked on myself winning and I knew that if I didn't, that I'd always have a fallback. So like I didn't take the traditional school route, but I knew that in order to have a fallback, I had to do something. So mm-hmm. anytime that I wasn't consistently working, I always had side jobs, okay. always. Like I've worked in many different worlds. But I also went to school at like a local community college and I went and got my real estate license and I went and got my personal training degree. Like I just was like, I have the freedom. I know I'm young, but like I have the freedom to just try things and I want to be like, I guess, well-versed. And I liked working. So I don't know. I just think I always felt like I could figure it out. Of all the side hustles you had, what do you think was the most obscure and what was the most profitable? Oh gosh, there's a lot. So the most obscure, let me think... I was slinging some high-end jewelry Come for on, a time. Really? Yeah, so I I used to make jewelry just as fun for fun, and I would send it to I would like sell it to wardrobe stylists for things okay. that I was working on. Like I wore a lot of it in Nancy Drew, which was like a film, and it got some PR. So I had like a little bit of confidence from that. Mm-hmm. So I walked into this shop that had like really beautiful jewelry, custom like high-end jewelry. Somehow I like convinced them at fifteen that I could like work their <laughs> counter. And had like people like Jessica Simpson and the Kardashians, like that's kind of how I fell into like, not necessarily their lap, but like met them and like worked at their store Dash. And it was like everything that I worked at always fell into the next opportunity. And to be honest, the first investment that I made in the vegan space was actually through a chef that I worked for kind of illegally. Like we, they didn't, they paid me under the, they didn't even pay me. I said, don't pay me for working at this restaurant. I will work for food and tips. 
I just want to be here because the food was so good. And I was a vegan who didn't have many options at that time. Interesting. And I would have never met the chef who is now our chef at Outstanding Foods, which is the first company I ever invested in, had I not been 16 years old begging for a job just for food. So how many years ago was that relationship built? Oh, man. Like well, let me think. 10, 10, 10 yeah, plus. Easy, 15 10 plus, plus. in full circle. Yeah. Now he's managing and working with one yeah. of your investments. That is, I mean, that's right there. Such a huge takeaway. One person, one relationship could lead to so many other things down the road. When you were a childhood actor, when you think about that career, it's given you the flexibility to make some of the investments and pursue some of the passions that you have now. At what point from a financial standpoint were you in a position where you're like, I'm good now. I don't mm. need these side hustles. I'm in a spot where I can start doing other things and pursuing other dreams. It was when I got victorious and I didn't have the time or flexibility anymore. Mm -hmm. That show really sort of consumed me. I was about, I turned 19 when we shot the pilot and it was like the second thing started to go, it was full speed ahead. We yeah. didn't have downtime. We worked really long hours. And that was okay. And the, yeah. the side hustles during Victorious became like side hustles for Nickelodeon. Like, do you have time to shoot a commercial or can you work with this brand or can you go do a concert here or whatever? So that just, yeah, that was how that changed. That's crazy. And just, so do you have an agent that manages all that for you? And like, how do you decide which agent to work with? That's a great question. I actually don't have an agent at you the moment. Have, oh, come on. I don't wow. have an agent at the moment. You know, I realized at some point in my career that like there were too many cooks in the kitchen. Okay. And I'm, I just felt like who's doing what here? And like, why does <laughs> it feel you, like- Your check one? was this yeah. much? And that, what, how, how's that work? What did you yeah. do to earn that? And also like the, the relationship matters. And if you feel like you're with like this great big agent, that's uh -huh. great and all. But like, if you can't call that person and be like, hey, I don't want to do this and this is the kind of stuff I want to be working on and they don't get you as a person. Okay. I just needed like, I work with a manager and I've been with them for a while now and he's like the same age as me. We actually grew up in the same area. We have similar common interests. Like I could just literally be super honest with him and that yeah. to me was more important than having some glitzy, glamorous agent. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that's we've had so many people come on and talk about uh, just issues they've had with agents and how they found successful people and the interview tactics they use to now work with the right people. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective that. So would you say you're self-managed then? You're just, yeah, a little like, bit. Like to a certain extent? Yeah, a little. Yeah, exactly. Like I think I need him for certain things for sure. And he's been yeah. really supportive. But I, I just wanted to feel like I could have a little bit more control. That's cool. So the less, the better. I love it. All right, I want to get into auditioning a little bit because okay. I think a lot of people ask me, give me interview tips, or I really struggle when I'm on pressure, like how to deal with these certain scenarios. Oh, man. I have to imagine audition is like the quintessential moment of pressure, performance, delivery, execution, something you've had to do over and over. So what tips would you give to someone out there that might struggle in that setting or might struggle when they have a big interview being someone that's had to do it over and over again? <laughs> Without drugs? <laughs> oh, man. I never tried drugs, anything. What no. good drugs are there out oh, there? Oh, <laughs> man. No, I, I remember like later on in my career, I was, I was feeling more of the pressure. And mm -hmm. that's when things just don't go well, right? Like when you, when you put more pressure on yourself or you feel like you absolutely need this job. The most success I ever had was when the steamroll, it was all happening, right? Like, and okay. you're riding that wave and there's that confidence and you can walk into the room. And in a lot of ways, like I would, I would actually tell myself, I'm, I'm the shit. 
this is gonna be fine like i'd have to tell i'd have to sell myself that like they they want this to work daniela like they want you to do well they want you to be the one right like like i think in a lot of ways you walk into a room and you instantly feel that pressure and that like judgment almost Mm -hmm. or like they're waiting for you to fall but in a lot of ways like it's the opposite they really want this to work they want this to be easy they want you to be the one and that helped me like change my mindset yeah that was it like I don't have any major tips. And like I said, later in life, I remember talking to someone who I said, oh, I just hate auditioning. And anytime it was like a bigger deal or a bigger opportunity, I'd feel more and more pressure. They'd be like, oh, you don't take beta blockers or whatever. And I was like, no, I haven't done anything. Oh, like, we've talked all about beta blockers on dude, this podcast. Dude, I'm so it's behind. crazy I was like, happened. I'm terrified. I don't even take Tylenol. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone beta blockers. Wow. So drug-free, she killed it. I like, it's almost like you're... It's a form of manifestation, right? I guess yeah. like it's self-convincing that they're not there to judge you or or to not give you the opportunity. In fact, it will make their life a lot easier if you are the best version of Daniela, and that's mm-hmm. what worked for you. So also a takeaway then, would you say shoot when you're hot? Like, is yes. that when you are doing your best? Like you're building, like you close one opportunity, that's the best time to close the next one? Is Absolutely. That? Yeah. Also though, like let's say at some point after a few years of being off, I will go back. But I think the conversation that I will have is more or less like, look at how much I've accomplished in yeah. such a short period of time. And like, I I know what my value is and I know what I can bring to the table and I know my niche. Like I know what my skill set is. And I have more confidence in that today. Whereas like as a kid, I would be like, what can I book? Like, I'm just ready. Throw me in coach. Now I'm like, nah, like I know exactly what lane I feel best in mm-hmm. and that's what I want to go after. And that's where I'll probably do my best. So I love it. And a lot of that financial independence is what's giving you the opportunity to get into some of the the veganism opportunities. Hold on. We're going to talk a little bit about those here shortly. You said you just, an instant, an interesting question that sparked a new question is you said, I know my value. I'm thinking 15, 16, you're getting excited about the opportunities. But are, are even at a younger age, like 10, 11, 12, are your parents or managers, are they like telling you how much you're getting paid? Do you have any clue of the financial side about it at that age? Yeah. And who the hell, like, how do they manage that? Like, <laughs> I, you don't have a checking account at 12. You don't have a credit card at nine. Like, how right. does that get managed for you? I don't know. I'm, I'm a different kind of being, I guess, because from a young age, I cared a lot about money. I grew up in a very like normal family where money was just talked about. Like there was mm-hmm. money around, like stress around money. My dad was kind of like an entrepreneur. My mom was kind of an entrepreneur. So like it wasn't weird for me to like know exactly what I was making. That was like very common knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I also cared a lot, right? Like I wanted the checking. I remember in elementary school, I opened one. In elementary school? Yeah, they had like a, actually it was pretty cool now that I think about it. I don't know if anyone else does this, but they had yeah. like a banking class where you can learn yeah. about checking and then you can open one. And so I was like, I'm opening one. See, they need more of that. They need more they of need that. They need to teach that in our schools. For sure. In elementary, you had it done. That's unbelievable. Well, I'm sure there was some sort of catch, like the bank's <laughs> like, it's only going to cost you X amount in interest yeah. or some shit. And we'll start them young. Um, <laughs> Always oh, look good. Uh, You're no. still at the same institution. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> See, it worked. I went from Western whatever to now Chase. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. So that's that's an early thing that I think I developed, and I was always curious, and um, I just wanted to make sure I had my own back. Yeah, that's really cool. Television or films, which pay better? Oh wow, very different. Television to me is my preference because there's potentially 
I mean, people would argue it both ways, but I think there's more potential long term. Uh-huh. Like if you get on a show that could do well, like, and you're willing to put in that time long term, you can have more success that way. Okay. Film is an easy, well, not easy, but it's a quicker paycheck. Got it. And I think film stars in general, if you're looking at them, they make more. Films, okay, got yeah. it. And is there, is, like in the industry, is there a preference of which way, or yeah. is it more based on skill set? I think it's both, but yeah. I think personally, if I'm talking for myself, yeah. I prefer television. I also just prefer half hour, which is like sitcom. That's more my vibe. But I think if you're talking to someone who prefers more drama, single cam, that sort of thing, they're going to talk that they, they, they're they going to say they want more film and on their belt. Like that's like more their style. Interesting. Okay. A whole yeah. world. I don't know too much about Justin. I don't know. You know much about it. We got Justin here. He's hanging out with us, but we're <laughs> learning. We're learning some more about the behind the scenes of it. What about memorization of lines? I think a lot of people out there just struggle with memory and in all forms of their business or jobs. What are things that you would do to like really ingrain these me- like these lines into your memory and take true character like through the whole process? Because I think there's so many people out there, whether it's like a sales pitch or it's like even if there's a doctor trying to memorize in, in med school, like what are things that you do to memorize lines that people could implement in their life? Um, listening, like making sure that you are listening mm-hmm. to the other lines because that's your biggest cue. So like for me, I'm I'm very visual, so I could actually kind of see like the size of the line, which makes probably little sense. But if you're looking at my hands, it's like, I can see that it's like, oh, a few sentences. And if I'm listening to the question, they're saying like, hey, Jessica, I'm like, oh, well, clearly that's the line with like the, this this much in it. Yeah. And I know how to respond to a hi. So like, it kind of just fits like a puzzle. Okay. And specifically with like my style, which is what I said, like sitcom, there's like a there's like a flow to it. Okay. There's like a feeling. There's like a song. There's like a, you know, when the joke's coming, you know how to hit it. You know yeah. how to find it. You know how to break. You know how to like, there's all these different feelings around it. So it's very natural. Interesting. Um, and then with drama, I'd say it's a little different where like, that's a lot more, I guess like you're more invested in yourself. You're like more, th- like you're th- you're having to think through it a little bit more because there's so much feeling and emotion. But as long as you're in it and you're listening and it really feels natural, the words, if you've, if you've read them a few times, like should make sense. But if it's not written to your style, it's a little bit harder to memorize. Got it. Interesting. And how many times would you say like, do you have to reshoot a scene because like someone mm. screws up a line like behind the scenes I know the sure. viewers especially the curious Canadian he's going to want to know that in the recap <laughs> stay tuned to the recap but like how many times do you have to reshoot a scene because someone screws their lines up I mean at minimum a handful okay minimum gotcha yeah, so that's I mean, pretty normal pro like yeah. if you're a one line wonder and you're just crushing it that's like a rare circumstance oh yeah and they wouldn't because there's so many other things like you're getting other angles with three cameras, like a sitcom, there's mm-hmm. more chances to get it in like a few chance in, in, in a few shots. But if yeah. you're doing a single cam, like you're having to get a wide, you're having to get a single, you're having to get a flip of like you know the other person's reaction. It's like a lot more goes into it, so you have a lot, a little more chance to do it a different way. And with sitcom, it's like it's more I don't know, it's more playful and it's more fun. And if you mess up and you find any blub and it like you know it's funny, it still works, it still yeah. plays as long as it plays. That is so fascinating. Who in all of your your history of your entire resume would you say is like the most talented individual you ever worked with professionally? Ooh, there was a lot of talent on Victorious. Yeah. Like a ton of talent. Yeah, that, that roster was stacked. Wow. And they and they all came from like something awesome. Like and they're like triple quadruple hits, right? Yeah. So like they've got the singing, the dancing, the all the things. So like I don't know. I mean, just going off of what's happening right now, like mm-hmm. I'd say Ari is like Ariana is probably oh, yeah. 
incredibly and talented. And you're in a music video too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another cool thing to throw on your resume. Yeah, that was so <laughs> <Just> random. <laughs> but yeah, I am. <laughs> that is so cool. I love it. All right. Last question as we transition into the whole business entrepreneurial side of, of your resume. What has been like the most profitable marquee moment for you in your acting career? Ooh, most profitable. Uh, well, I'd say working with Nickelodeon for yeah. sure. And, and yeah, I've had this conversation a lot recently and I'll be completely transparent. You don't make a lot like with like Victorious per se. It wasn't yeah. like I was getting, I was getting paid more on my network show with CBS at like 14 years old than I was. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Why and, is that? And what's interesting is I remember being talked out of Nickelodeon and Disney. When I tested for Hannah Montana, my yeah. agent at the time, and this goes back to the whole like who who's your agent who knows your brand yeah who knows your brand talked me out of auditioning for Disney and Nickelodeon I actually went behind their back to test for Hannah Montana through my manager at the time because I said I I was young I was 16 years old I want to be on shows that are fun that like speak to me that like something I would watch or my friends would watch yeah and even even though network had this like great appeal and there was all these different perks and like you could definitely pivot more into film from that like catapult Mm -hmm. I had this feeling that like being on a show on Disney or Nickelodeon longevity wise would establish me more as like a brand I can grow with it and so I went and tested for Hannah Montana and I'd say even though that didn't pan out it definitely made me feel like I was in the right place and that's when Nickelodeon started to come into play and I'd say even though I didn't make the most on Victorious it was the best Best decision that had the the greatest impact. The greatest on like impact. Future. Interesting. In, I mean, following alone. First of all, I would have never done social media. They set me up with like an Instagram. They set me up with like a Twitter, and they encouraged us. They really kind of gave us that like one hundred and one before even anyone knew what they were doing with it all. Interesting. They saw it coming, and so and like. Not that you want to be overly exposed, but like being on backpacks and being on all the Happy Meals and yeah. having games and shit like that helps <laughs> a little, so, right? I don't make anything so off of it. Cool, by the way. <laughs> I don't make a penny cool pe- off yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, so your manager that that discouraged you for the Nickelodeon deal? Do you think my he, agent? Yeah, your, your a- agent that mm-hmm. did. Do you think that was? Because of the dollars, because he or she would make less because it's Nickelodeon versus another opportunity. Partially, yes. Yeah. It doesn't. It didn't have that same. I don't know, like effect that people I think would look at it now. Like, yeah, we've got the Selena Gomez, we've got the Demi. Like everyone's kind of had some sort of fame since I was a kid. Sure, it's changed that landscape a little bit. But I don't think it was so much about the money. I think it was truly just an image thing. Like to go from a network show where I was playing with the big dogs. Like yeah. there was all this like hype around me like cover of tv guide like cosmo it was just a lot at once and i was still i felt like i was a kid in an adult world yeah and i just wanted to do what i was doing but still be around peers and i was missing that and so i think they thought that i would catapult more into like film or just new network tv for a little bit longer and that was a better image but I just didn't like, I didn't agree. <laughs> it's so fascinating to hear like just the behind the scenes of like the perceptions of certain the things and, and what people think your career trajectory is because you're on network versus Nickelodeon. It's it's something obviously as a viewer, we never think about, sure. but it comes so much into play when you think about you're navigating your career, your life and all your future impact. And it's cool to hear that you going to Nickelodeon ended up being one of the biggest pivots that you made and the most successful. It's really fascinating.
You talked a little about social media. A lot of your businesses live on social media today. We're going to get into that. When you look back, if you took a P&L, like your income, would you say that you've been able to make more off of building that social media, which came from working with Nickelodeon, or in the acting space? It's, yeah, I mean, some years in acting were better than what I'm doing now at some points, but no, I'd say in general, yeah, I've definitely sustained, if not grown. It's wild. It's so wild, the power of social media, the dollars, the sense, the impact, the influence. It's just crazy. And so one of the things you've done is you've turned all of your your influence and your platform into your passions. You've been very outspoken about the vegan lifestyle that you live and the impact. And then I was reading that you were a vegetarian at the age of five. What like tell like your your peers are eating McDonald's happy happy meals and cheeseburgers <laughs> and you're like meals. nope I'll take the salad and the apples so, like, walk me through that and then I'm, I'm curious how this this impacts the businesses you have today sure I think like I'm a very sensitive person like mm-hmm. I'd consider myself an empath and and as a kid I I went to a dude ranch with my family and I just saw some like horrific things done at a rodeo and it was enough for me to just know that like whatever that's whatever the cause of this is, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a part of it. And I just learned a lot at five. Like we were at this dude ranch, they served us some steaks that night and like talked about how their cattles are raised and correlating the two is very easy out of even five. And I asked questions and I just, for me, it was just like, I don't want to eat animals. Yeah. And so I just kind of like kept that going for a while. I don't want, is there animals in this? I don't want to eat animals. Come from an Italian family. Like it didn't fly for everything. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's everything. a tough one. Meat and oh, fish. Man. <laughs> oh man. the, the meatballs that she'd hide in the sauce. Yeah. And then I, I realized later on, which wasn't much later, I was about 10 or 11 years old. My uncle had some health stuff going on. He had cancer and they had a vegan meal prepared for him and they had a chef come and teach them how to cook vegan and he was literally like not he wasn't doing well at all and they my aunt invited me over and said I know you're vegetarian you might want to try this and I was like well why why is he eating vegan they weren't a vegan family by any means and they just said a body can't thrive like a cancer can't live if there's no animal products in your body like it's a different yeah they just wanted to clean him up make sure that he was getting the right foods and and I then I learned about the health implications, of course, of being vegan and not having high cholesterol and things of that nature. And then, of course, the environmental impact came shortly after that. I read a book called Skinny Bitch. I learned about factory farming and animal agriculture and the real business behind food. And I think now where I stand, I'll always do it for animals and health and the environment. But I'm so intrigued by the business of our food that like it made me even stronger in my ethics. Yeah, I mean, I think the business side of it also, like just the marketing components of mm-hmm. it, like the things that are like jammed into our brain mm-hmm. from a, a, from a food perspective so that our dollars are like aligned in certain ways, which is, is just wild. So what was the first moment that you took this passion and turned it into a business? And I think a lot of people have passions A to Z, but they have to say to themselves, how much money am I going to allocate towards this passion before mm-hmm. I rethink or, or, or redeploy my money? Sure. What was that process like for you? Yeah, I, I think my first real moment where I realized I want to put my money where my mouth is essentially is when I got a call from Chef Dave Anderson, who I worked with mm-hmm. at the restaurant. And he had been out of the restaurant game for a while, and he was really well-respected, and he still is. But like at that time, 
he had been a part of some of the biggest vegan restaurants like Real Food Daily. And then he opened up his own spot and there was like Paul McCartney dining in this tiny little hole in the wall <laughs> restaurant so with cool. no signage. <laughs> like people knew about him. And then he went on to work for Beyond Meat and like literally created half of their most successful recipes today. So I, when he called me and he said, hey, I don't know like what your deal is, but do you want to help me open up a restaurant? I said, I'll do whatever I have to do. Like, I just at the time had like bought our first home. Mm -hmm. So like I was nervous about yeah. it and I didn't know what my, you never know with this career. Like, but I believed in him and I just, to this day, when I invest, I have to know that I believe in the people. And he was like the biggest reason why I did it. But what happened was, is he realized like, even though a restaurant is really where our heart is, mm -hmm. to scale a company like that is so tough. much harder. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. So he went into like snack foods and I thought, how great we can reach the masses, like to give an option to people who may not have that yeah. in other places of the world, like how great. So that was the direction that gave me a lot of, I guess, confidence and also a network, which was really important. Yeah, that's so cool. When you look at that restaurant investment, did you break even with it? Did you end up losing no, money? No, I'm still in it. This was... Um, you exit from sick. it? No, 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 there it's growing. Go. No, Let's it's go. great. And it's Outstanding Foods is thriving. It was probably the biggest and potentially one of the most successful that I've been a part of. I mean, I, my one of my... I mean, everyone's really invested at this point. Snoop Dogg yeah, and Rob Deerdeck and like all these people. So it's like... Like I said, the network, the reach, and the CEO who's so close to me, it's like been the greatest experience. That is amazing. Now tell me a little bit about the beauty box subscription and yeah. how you got into that and just as the like the business challenges and the success Oof, behind it. Sure. So Kinder Beauty was a really cool experience. So Andrew Bernstein and Ivana Lynch, who are my two partners, we used to do stuff at not at the PETA nonprofit. So we would do a lot of campaigns and things of that nature. And Andrew was kind of heading up the talent department at PETA. Mm -hmm. And then when he sort of broke away and he wanted to do something that was for profit, but also still very impactful, he realized that there was kind of a white space. There was all these beauty boxes. There was all these straight to your door boxes, but nothing that really like spoke to the vegan, not even necessarily the vegan community, but nothing that really like made clarity around what is actually in your product. So it, for me, even as a vegan, I didn't even know where to start. Like, who do you trust? Everyone's trying to claim that they're cruelty-free or vegan or clean, but like, where is this? Like, you got to get to the real nitty-gritty. And so we decided that we would do a box that really ticked all those boxes. Uh, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> non, yeah. And make it actually like an entry-level experience. Mm -hmm. Nothing that was too expensive because, you know, you'd have to... So three, four years ago when I was shopping for beauty, beauty products and I wanted to make sure I was getting something that I was proud of, yeah. I'd have to go to Whole Foods and spend $50 on something that like may not even be high quality. Right, right. So like for us to do the legwork and curate something that's 20 something dollars a month and like comes with a hundred plus dollars worth of value and like making sure that those partnerships made, made sense so that we can offer that to our subscribers. It's like a really interesting process, but really meaningful. That is, I think it's so amazing. How many like subscribers did you guys ha currently have for the At pack? this point? Yeah. Oh goodness. So it's been hard, man. I'm yeah. not going to lie. We've had some, so I'll tell Especially you something, with right? The, like with the recession, like what they're saying is that subscriptions are like taking the biggest toll right now. Sure. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. What I will say though, with the COVID <laughs> of all things, <laughs> yeah. our company grew like 330 something percent during yeah. that time. In a lot of ways, it was an incredible way to speak to an audience that may have not thought more about their health and sure. what they were putting on their body and like actually what their dollar could be impacting. Sure. So 
we actually we donate back to a lot of like amazing organizations okay. and animal agriculture and also not well that fight off animal agriculture and also environmental things so it was a really great experience for us to grow and then retaining of course is you know another story but we're doing yeah. the best we can and i think that like we're in a good strong place That's so cool. um, and steadily growing which is important but we've learned a lot along the way that and it's been so a, cool. a beautiful <laughs> process i'll tell you that much so as someone that's thinking about going vegetarian or vegan what is the biggest thing we should know as a consumer because you see like those documentaries on netflix yeah. like you had said and there's certain products that might be overpriced like what is the biggest thing if someone's like you know what i'm being i'm rethinking this based on what danielle is saying i might change my habits i think i might go vegan or vegetarian what is the biggest thing you would advise a consumer to think about mm. I would give ourselves more credit. Our dollar, mm -hmm. our impact, our decisions as a consumer mm -hmm. are so important and have so much more weight than you'd imagine. Yeah. And I just say to do more research only because people are always going to be preying on you and so they're always going to be trying to sell you a yeah. story or their thing. And to me, like we have to be advocates for ourselves. And when that, when I, depends what your point of entry is. Like if you really care about your health, let's say you've got several pills you're taking or you're on these different, like you're on a health journey, yeah. then maybe look at that first and go, is there anything I could do about my my what I'm putting in my body? And then if you care more about environmental impacts or if you mm -hmm. care more about the, the actual business of like animal agriculture and what's actually happening, what's going into your food, the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the things that we're consuming that can then, do you have anxiety? Like yeah. could it potentially be from, from the animal eating. that suffered tremendously? Yeah, yeah. Like there's so many different reasons so I don't know that I could pick one, but I do think if one speaks to you, like go down that path yeah. and, and see if there's more that you could be doing. Cause now we have options. Like yeah. for the longest time when I turned vegan, wow, there was, there was nothing, nothing out there. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. you know, but it's a little different. You do have to weave through the things that like maybe more manufactured, more processed, more this, more that, but That's just so stick cool. the closest you can to like whole foods, plant-based. There you go. Whole foods, plant-based. And the recap, David and I are going to take a shot at this. So we are not vegetarian or vegan, but what we're going to do is for one week, we're going to give it a shot and we are going to try it. We're going to give it a go. You've convinced us. I already got approval from him. So he's on board. And oh then we're going to recap our week journey of doing it to all of the viewers. Wait, are you going vegetarian or vegan? Ooh. You touch. <laughs> all right. I know there's, I was, I was trying to get away with vegetarian. I, are you going to challenge us to go vegan? I will absolutely challenge okay. you to All go right. vegan. You're challenging us to go <laughs> vegan. And one of the things we'll have to do is we're going to, I know when, when you make that transition, finding the right foods is tough. So yeah. you're an investor and you're on the board of Vegan Sunday Supper. Yes. So is that where we should start oh, with Oh, we this? will hook you up. Is this what, okay, absolutely. this is what we're going to do. That is going to make you feel like you are right at home, like the most enjoyable. Oh, yes. We okay. got you. This is okay. So if we can do it and you're listening out there, you could give it a shot. We're going to give a full review of that. So where do you see what's next for you in the vegan space? You've done Oof. so much. You have the beauty box, you have the app, you're mm -hmm. on the board of Vegan Sunday Supper, you have the restaurant alignment. Mm -hmm. What is next for you in the space and what's like your vision as you think about it? It's a great question. I want to be in a position to be able to invest in companies that really feel like they align and that I want to like help. I really want to work on this app community because I think what happens is when you become vegan, there's so much confusion. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm curious to know how your yeah, experience goes because, you know, it's it seems so simple, but 
there needs to be a bit of handholding. There needs to be a bit of community. Like in order to have some real success, you got to have some sort of plan. And so what my app, Daniela's Digest, is doing is creating an actual meal plan where like you can literally go on and like you don't have to think about it. Not only are there recipes, but it's just telling you like, hey, it's going to ask you what your appetite is, what your likes, dislikes, allergies, whatever. And we're going to put together a whole map of like what could happen. And you can buy it all on my app, like through a grocery app. We'll have the groceries come to your house. You can prepare it yourself. There's macros involved. Like you can know what you're taking in. Make sure if you're protein conscious or whatever it may be, it's all there. And I, I wished that like many people had this resource because Mm -hmm. I think that's where you fall through the cracks. You're like, oh, someone tells you you're not getting enough B vitamins. You're not, oh, you're you're, you're doing it wrong. Like I just need some help. And I just wanted to be able to help people. And this was the easiest, not necessarily the easiest, but the the biggest way that I could. That's, I think that's one of the biggest things too in business too is I'm, I'm, we're, I'm, we're inspired by what you're doing. So that's why we're going to do it. We just don't have instruction. I think so many people can inspire, but then they don't provide any type of instruction. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you can provide the inspiration with the instruction of exactly where to go and how to do it is huge. And I think you're going to have a massive, massive impact with the app. Question for you on the business side of the app. A lot of people are sitting at bars, they're having a drink. Oh, I got to come up with this app idea. I got this great idea for an app. They have no idea where to start. Mm-hmm. You obviously had a great idea for an app. Where did you start? Who did you call? What type of money does it cost to create an app? It's a great question. So fortunately for me, and it goes back to like having the network, there was someone that I was close with from an organization, Mercy Free Animals, who actually had sort of the lay of the land figured out already. Mm-hmm. And they had done this for people like Beyonce. <laughs> Wow, that's a nice little hookup to have, not a big deal. So I was lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time, had the right conversation. And um, I think she saw my heart Mm -hmm. and was like, okay, like, let's do this together. And so she helped me acquire the right team and the right people in place. And through the years of being on social media, like I have my own person that's kind of like my right hand person. And together, we've just been like carving it out and figuring out like how to really like organize this so that it's efficient and it works. The logistics are tricky. I will say one thing, we're not on the app store and that helps. It (laughs) helps, interesting. Absolutely, so we're a web-based app. So essentially we are basically a website for logistical reasons. Like it's just, it's easier. You don't have to take too much off the top. Those app stores can cost you upwards of, I don't even know, probably 30%. Tons, yeah. Yeah, tons. And so I just didn't, it was more for me, like how do I make this resource available to the masses at the best price possible? So it's a web-based app. You can download it to your app device or your, sorry, your phone device. And it works just like an app and it doesn't take up any space. So if anyone's out there trying to create an app, I would try to just go that route that and make it app friendly. Call. So it yeah. feels like it's the same sort of deal. But Yeah. So if you're looking for an entry point, cheaper to do it, easier to do it that way. So then I was actually, I wasn't even going to ask you where to find the app because I thought it would be implied that it'd be there. No. So where do so, where would someone download the app? You go to my website, which yeah. is daniellasdigest.com. There you go. And it's pretty easy. You just kind of go through the steps, take the little quiz. Okay, we're going to take the quiz. We're going to download it in the recap. Stay tuned, guys. This is going to be fun. I think that's a great way to to get an app going. We have a few rapid fire questions and we're going to get your trading secrets. Are you ready for a few rapid fire here? I'm ready. Okay. What is the best vegan food that you've ever had in your entire life? Oh, everything that Dave cooked at Madeline Bistro. (laughs) It's the best. It's the best. Uh, All right. I love it. What is the worst investment you've ever made? 
Ooh, I have. Oh, I have one. Let's hear it. <laughs> it was it was myself. I I partnered with someone. Um, he fronted the money, and um, unfortunately, we were at a wrong time. So we wanted. I wanted to come out with diapers that were sustainable because I was having a baby, and I just oh, knew cool. that that market is just to me like convoluted, confusing. Are they safe? Are they biodegradable? Are they all the things that I want to put on my child and like consume as a as a customer? Yeah. So I wanted to like fix it. So I partnered with someone and the timing was bad. During COVID, every single resource you could imagine was being allocated towards like masks and gloves and all of that nature. Like we were the last person that they'd care for. And then also when you did find your consumer and you got them at the right point and you acquired them, like we sold out in like crazy time, but to like get another rehab was like Oh, the supply chain issue. You couldn't get any more inventory. So it was just to me like I put so much heart and soul oh. into that and the mama heart, like the fact that I had this baby and I was like, I'm going to fix the diaper industry. <laughs> and I realized, nah, Pampers, you're not. watch out. Daniela's coming through. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> oh. Then I realized if you just potty train your kid early, that's the most sustainable that, approach. There you go. And so <laughs> I did that. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a new app for that here yeah. soon. Uh, so, so then at what point did you cut the business out? When did you say? It just kind of, it was early. It was like probably less than a year and we realized like it actually I'll be honest I, I had friends subscribing and they were like yeah. I'm not getting my diapers and I said let me look into this and then there's the inventory yeah issue. massive I, inventory I, issue I, 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 I. yeah how much did you lose on that I, I invested myself so my partner put up the money oh so you're good that's right you said that but a good good learning lesson all right million bucks if I put a million bucks right now in cash you can do anything with it what are you doing with oh it? my gosh oh there's some restaurants of, of all things okay okay after the success of sugar taco I actually think differently about restaurant investments I think they have to be run by the right per- people but I believe in my partner Jade Nicole who started Sugar Taco and I would give her a little bit to just like do something with me exclusively to also do whatever she's passionate about yeah and maybe even franchise at that point I think there's probably I would actually I would probably do at least 500k towards that and then the rest just pocket it for like those little moments when someone's like hey could you can you there's a vegan supper Sunday that to me was like I need to be liquid enough to invest in you like I, I don't know that's I would probably just save some Hello, the next. That's, a, that's a great breakdown all right if you do one more TV show what is one person that you would want make sure is in the cast oh my gosh that's such a great question <laughs> I feel like it'd be fun to do something with Jennifer Aniston oh my that dream come true sure. oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> just one time I got to walk in her presence and I was like, oh wow. my God, I couldn't even talk. Caitlin oh, was like, uh, pick up your jaw. I'm right next to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And what other business ventures can we expect from you? Oh man, good What's question. I think TV will likely be next. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have two kids and I feel like I'm at a point where not to be too TMI, but like I'm finally like weaning off the nursing. Like yeah, I feel like sure. I can slowly pull away a bit more. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just want to give myself I want to give everything I do 100%. And so I wasn't ready. And now I'm feeling a little bit more ready. So probably another show at some point. Amazing. Your success story is unbelievable. Your resume is so wildly impressive. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're able to do it your way, the way you saw fit from such a young age until now is an inspiration for so many. We're going to give the whole vegan shot. We're going <laughs> to give the vegan diet a shot. Stay tuned to the recap. We'll talk through it. David is going to be shaking in his boots, but we're doing it. We have the app. If people want more of you, Danielle, where can they find everything you have going on? The oh, vegan businesses, see. everything that you're doing, where can they go to find it? I would say probably just start on Instagram. Follow me at Danielle Monet, and I kind of just always am posting everything I'm involved in. 
I love it. And then we have to end with a trading secret. So oh. it's one trading secret from you. Okay, Can't learn I have in a one. textbook. Can't Google it. You're already ready to go. I have Sometimes one. I elongate that process so people can think through it. You're ready I to go. One. What is your trading secret? So when I was younger, I didn't have much money at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was still young in my career, but I wanted to be involved in stocks. So I, and I couldn't buy certain things. Like I thought Whole Foods was the coolest market in town. I didn't have the money to go shop there. And yeah. like, I thought BMWs were the coolest car on the road. <laughs> I so I like somehow figured out how to invest in these companies like Tesla. I invested in like BMW, Viacom, because I wanted to be on Nickelodeon, Whole Foods. I only invested in things that I thought were awesome and I wanted to like That's be involved really cool. and I think like that has rung true till this day I've now invested in more green companies and then it wasn't much like I remember talking to this advisor at the time and I said could I buy like five hundred dollars from BMW like could I have five hundred dollars <laughs> worth of BMW and then of course iPhone was big I was like can I have like four hundred dollars of Apple yeah and it was just a nice way for me to feel like I was a part of something that I was actually wanting to be a consumer of and that's like really yeah that's such a good lesson. And you know who does that best? Warren Buffett. Oh, amazing. Warren Buffett has oh, a similar. <laughs> no, but he has a similar. Awesome. Now, I don't think he invests in things like that you might well, condone. Like he's sure, a big sure. McDonald's guy. Sure. <laughs> so definitely not up your alley. But it's such a good perspective. I think there's so many people out there that are confused about investing. And then they go to look into investing and people completely confuse them with all the analytics and yeah. the technical. If you like a product and it's a good company, Go put a couple bucks behind mm -hmm. it and you never know where it'll mm -hmm, go. Mm -hmm. That is a great trading secret. Well, thank you so much for being on Trading Secrets. This was a great episode. Your resume is unbelievable and we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you, Jason. This All was right. awesome. We are back with Trading Secrets from the viewer segment. And today we have Shauna with us. Shauna is in the copywriter business, but before she went on her own, she was managing copywriters. So Shauna, tell me first of all, for someone who doesn't know and they hear copywriter, what exactly is that profession? What does it mean? Yeah. So I help businesses boost their profits through the power of storytelling, building brand awareness, and really like increasing their conversions. So content is really about getting found as a business and copywriting is sort of selling your products and services more effectively. So every business needs a good copywriter. Okay. So let's talk through that. Someone out there has a little side hustle business or someone is listening to this and they have a massive, massive business. Give me an example of one project a copywriter would work on. Website copy. So kind of going through somebody's uh, website and, and looking at how they're positioning their products and services. So every business, you know, wants to stand out in the marketplace. So how are they communicating that to their potential clients and uh, and customers? So a copywriter is really going to go through all of those words with a fine tooth comb and say like we can position this better here or let's do this over here. So it's really about just telling somebody why they should choose your business over another one. Okay, I love it. So it's the it's the communication just based on like the visibility, the actual written communication, potentially verbal communication, the aesthetic, et cetera. If someone's interested in this space as a copywriter, what type of either like educational background or credibility do you have to have on your resume to become a copywriter? That's a good question. I have a couple of college degrees and I have always been in marketing writing. So my career has kind of taken a lot of different, you know, ventures here and there. I would say that there's a lot of people now who can learn how to do copywriting and not have to do a four-year degree. 
Um, there's a lot of different programs that you can kind of sign up for. Maybe it's you know three to four thousand dollars to do a program that's eight weeks, and you're working with somebody online. You can certainly go the route that I did and do a four-year degree. I think that it helped me in this in the sense that I learned so much about myself and I learned a lot of skills along the way that have positioned me well now. Um, but there's certainly a lot of different avenues that one could go down if they want to learn that skill. Okay, very cool. And then when you got to the position of managing copywriters, how many copywriters were you managing? And where was the business coming from? Like who was hiring you guys that you were deploying the work to the people you were managing? What'd that look like? Yeah. So my team, I had anywhere from, I think, four to seven copywriters on my team. Um, we worked for a higher education tech company. So our clients were colleges and universities, and we were, you know, building the marketing that they could then take to get more student prospects. So we were building landing pages and doing email sequences and doing website copy all to, again, position that university for attracting students to want to apply there. It's so... I just love these segments because it helps us kind of just peel back the pages and layers to businesses. You think about a university and education, no one's thinking business. And here you are being hired by them, right? To create marketing, to sell more student prospects, right? Like it's everything has some tie to business, no matter what industry you're in. And to even think about education as a, as a way of marketing to students, that's how they run. That's how the cash comes in the door. When you were managing these four to six copywriters, what on average were those individuals making? I would say they were making probably 60 to 65,000, maybe 50 if they were if they were really new. Okay. Um, 50 to 65,000 is probably what they were making. There wasn't a huge gap between what they were making and what I was making, which was okay. definitely my inspiration to build my own business. Um, amazing. Okay. So Shauna, you've built your own business. We're going to get to that in a minute. A copywriter starts off or they're making around the 50, 60K mark. What was like a day in the life for those copywriters? Like, What did the job look like? If someone is maybe considering like, I could do this on the side or I can make a run at this, uh, well, you know, what does the day-to-day look like? Yeah, I would say it's always different. You're doing everything from research, like researching the university in this in this case, they're researching the inter- the university, seeing what their brand positioning is, how do they talk about the university in the marketplace? What are their like benefits to going there? What is that going to do for the student? Um they're sitting down and doing, you know, like framework of what the website might look like, like where is the headline going to go? Like what is that going to look like? Um, and then just sitting down and writing is a lot of that that job, you know, like talking with your coworkers and sort of saying like, hey, what do you think about this? Um, it's going back and it's fine tuning a lot. But I would say inherently with copywriting, there's a ton of research that goes into it before you ever write a single word on the page, because you really have to know all of that upfront information first before you can effectively position this university or this business um, well for them to attract the customers or the prospects that they want. So there's there's a lot of research that goes into it. Interesting. So, so a lot of due diligence is done on the back end before any words ever hit the paper. Let's talk yeah. about this. You left. You said you started your own business. What yeah. made you leave? 
the fact that there were that I was hiring people with maybe four years out of college making maybe five to 10,000 less than I was. And I was, I had 20 years of experience doing all of this kind of writing. And so that for one was one of the reasons where I thought, okay, well, I'm only going to make incremental increases if I'm lucky by staying with this company. On the flip side, I also knew of people that were going out and building copywriting businesses, again, that didn't have as much like experience as I have. Not to say that they aren't good at what they do, but I think there's a depth and a maturity that comes with writing and doing a lot of it over the years. And they were making more money than me. And I thought, man, if this person can do it, I can do it. And <clears throat> there's really no ceiling for me as a business owner. I can go and make you know, far and away above what I was making at my full-time job. And I, and I wanted the freedom too, but certainly the, the ability to kind of carve my own future was right up there. I love it. Take it into your own hands, write your own story. Uh, how long ago did you make the transition to your own business? About six months. Six months. And how has it been going? Um, I'm clearing 13,000 a month. So <laughs> I've doubled my income. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I doubled my income in less than six months. Unbelievable. Do you have anybody working with you now? Or are you still running all on yourself? Mostly on, on my own, but I have one writer that I'm starting to delegate some things to now. Okay. One piece of advice for someone that's thinking about taking the leap of faith, but hasn't done it yet. You've done it. It's a risky move. It's paid off for you. What bit of advice would you give them? I would say just to bet on yourself. I mean, it, I, over the years, I took a lot of chances to work on projects. I didn't know how it was going to work out. Sometimes it didn't work out, but it positioned me to learn a new skill that went into my toolbox. It opened me up to an entirely new network. And I believe that right now in my business, I haven't done any marketing yet. All of it has come from referrals. So that's a testament to not only my work ethic and just doing a really damn good job, but also I have this huge network of people that know them doing this. So I think anytime that you can bet on yourself, it's always going to pay out. It might not be obvious right away, but that has for sure been the reason that I'm, I'm so successful now. I love that. That is such a good piece of advice. Bet on yourself. Take a shot. Now, I mean, I got to give you the opportunity. You came on here. You shared what copywriters can make. You shared what you're making now. You shared your success story in a trading secret. If anybody's out there, you got to take this opportunity to plug your business. So if someone wants to work with a copywriter or has questions for you about the industry, uh, where can they find your business and where can they find you? Yeah. So the website is ampersand, A-M-P-E-R-S-A-N-D copyandcontent.com. So the business is ampersand copy and content. Um, on LinkedIn and Instagram, it's Shauna R. Stiver. So it's S-H-A-W-N-N-A-R Stiver. Awesome. Shauna Stiver, congratulations on your awesome career track and into entrepreneurship. Thank and thank you for trading secrets uh, with our viewers today. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. We are closing in the bell to the Daniela Monet podcast. What a beauty. Got to meet her fiance in the background. Justin Crawford set it up. Her story is unbelievable. What a star. And just she's got that star power, David. When she walks in the room, there's certain people that have that star glow, that star power. Daniela Monet has it. So tell me what you think. I mean, I had no clue who she was. Maybe that's because I didn't have Nickelodeon growing up. I'm a YTV guy in Canada. Dude, and you you know, I'm shocked you didn't know who she, you know who everybody is. I and know who everybody huge. is. She's huge. 
she's huge. Did you now? Did you know who she was from like when you were younger, or do you know how she, who she is because now? I know who she is because of now. Oh, okay, that's right. right. Well, Usually, I'm we the go-to guy. The t- we weren't her Nickelodeon genre time. Her main presence on Nickelodeon was not when you and I were watching Nickelodeon. Unlike this past weekend at iHeartRadio, I was fan freaking out because of Corey and Eric from Boy Meets World. I mean, yes. losing my shit. He was so cool, by the way. I waited till he was by himself in the car. I said, listen, I'm a huge fan, kind of freaking out. I wanted to make sure you had just like a minute before I like came over to you. And it seems like you do. Can I just get one picture? He was so cool, man. He was great. She was, you could tell how like big time she was because the big time people drop like a couple nuggets and then don't feel the need to go into it. Like, oh yeah, side hustle. I was slinging high-end jewelry. You know, Jessica Simpson, Kardashians. Oh yeah, I worked at the Dash store. Just like little side hustles, like sprinkling in there. Um, <laughs> the Dash store. You know, like it's so funny because when she was sprinkling, sprinkling those in, I was... it. It took me a minute to pick up on it. Like, I, like she would say, "Oh, I, you know, I, so I worked at the dash store, you know," and I would just be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then, like, it'd be like two minutes later, I'd be like, "Oh, fuck, that's what she was talking about." <laughs> yeah, oh, shit. yeah, I'm connecting the dots here, but I had to go to my next note, my next question here. So, but before we get into anything, I got a bone to pick with you, Jay. Oh boy, here we go. You signed us up for another week of vegan. <laughs> I know, dude. You know what's so funny is when I committed to that again. I was like delayed two minutes and everything this episode. I was like shit, we already did this and David was not a fan. But also, David, you've been telling me you've been packing on a few pounds because you've been on the road. You need it. So maybe it's the cleanse you don't really want, but you need. I, You said, oh yeah, I already got it approved by him. I instantly texted you. I'm like, Lied. when did you do this interview? Was it last year? Like, <laughs> it was and- a lot. <laughs> but are you in? Oh, I'm in because I'm looking at myself. My tan is gone and it's not even, it's October now. And that's just, usually it, it lasts like December, January. I'm... Yeah, I got the I got the you know, I got the post game pizza and 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 road trip look going on in my face right now. So well, well, here I we need go. it. So next Wednesday we recap. So we you got tonight. Go binge. Get some Mickey D's. Throw in some Zon wings. Tomorrow we start vegan for a week. So she said vegan Sunday supper is going to hook us up. So okay. vegan Sunday supper. I looked it up. One of her companies, which seems like she has a million companies, either that she founded or she invests in. They have uh, frozen lasagnas, uh, a normal and like a Italian sausage, obviously vegan. Can we get some of those to kind of kickstart this a little bit here? Yeah, that would be actually nice. Maybe I'll, I'll reach out, but also what we could do is uh, put it on the Trading Secrets P&L and we could just, we'll, we'll support her business. We'll, we'll buy it. We'll grab it. Yeah. Let's so do that. she, I was going to like fight you virtually yeah. uh, for making me do this. <laughs> Seeing her reaction when you said, you know what? David and I, we're going to do it. She's so excited. So I think we have to do this for us, first and foremost. We have to do it for her, for supporting her. So I, I'm going to do it begrudgingly, but I'm in. We also need to do it for our health. And I want to bring something up here, taking a little detour from the business, because this is a business that reflects our health. David, tell me, like, do you ever, do you regularly get your cholesterol taken? Absolutely not. Do you Never have, in my do life. Do you have any idea where your cholesterol stands? I couldn't even tell you what the range is. Like I could, if, if it, like 160 metrics of what? I don't know. Yeah. 
Okay, so last time I took my cholesterol, it was good. I think like one of the things you really want to shoot for is under 200, well under 200, so I'm good. But that was two years ago. I haven't had my cholesterol taken in two years. And this is a longer story, but I'm going to make it as short as I can. My good buddy's dad is in his 70s, and he is in good shape, and he is healthy, and there was no red flag whatsoever that had he had any issues. He just woke up in the middle of the night, and in the middle of the night, he felt chest pain. And so his wife said, does it feel like you have have an elephant sitting on your chest. And he said, maybe not an elephant, but it feels like something. And she said, all right, this was three in the morning. Think about how easy it would have been to say, go to bed. She said, all right, we're going to the hospital. Goes to the hospital, finds out that he has 90% blockage in his heart. And he, the doctor said, if he fell asleep and went back to bed, he wouldn't be with us today. Because of that, he has told me the lesson. Go have your parents and you yourself go get a heart scan. It's nothing. It's simple. It's easy. They'll do it. It's affordable. I told my parents to do it. They told me they were going to do it. My mom comes back perfect. No issue. My dad, and my dad is like 64 and has a six pack, works out every day. Would never know. He's in the like 90th percentile for a really, really challenging position like with his heart, cholesterol, and calcium. And so when you talk to the doctors, he has to either get stints or he's got to get on cholesterol medication. We never would have known that. And this comes back to the vegan diet because apparently I learned that my brother's cholesterol is a little higher until he went vegan and now his cholesterol is perfect. And I know we talk about business here, but business is powered by energy and health. And anyone out there, go tell your parents to get a heart scan. You just never know. Go yourself, get a heart scan. Go get your cholesterol taken. There could be simple things like incorporating a vegan diet that can actually save your life. Amen. I mean, that was a PSA for the record books right there. <laughs> and you know what's so funny about that? Intermittent fasting, tons of health benefits. Um, the keto diet, tons of health benefits. Everything that you do usually has like a subset of like, oh, but this is unhealthy. And it kind of deters people like intermittent fasting, not healthy because you're not eating breakfast in the morning, right? You're quote unquote starving yourself. Keto, like, yeah, you're eating all fat. So your cholesterol is really high. Vegan, like I don't get enough protein. You know, I'm not going to get you know, strength and energy that I need. So I think just being conscious of what you're doing and owning it is really important. And like you said, making sure that you're getting the back steps done to make sure that it's been doing for the right things in the right way. Exactly. And I think something that's also interesting is going into this episode, David, recapping it, getting fired up about Daniela's unbelievable insight. I started doing some research on the whole idea of like vegans. And what's interesting is that over a third right now of UK customers 35% are in the process of decreasing their meat intake, not because of what we just talked about, which was health, because of money. So money podcast, right now, meat and chicken and eggs, well, eggs obviously don't correlate to that, but those, the price point of those three areas have increased drastically. And if you, they're saying if you can go to a vegan diet, you can decrease, because we talk money here, your food costs by 34% because the price point of meat and chicken have, and seafood too has gone bananas in the last year up over 20, 30% year over year. Everything you just said combined with the cholesterol talk, I'm legitimately staring on my island here, leftover pizza and wings from the night before that I spent $74 on a large pizza and 20 wings. Speaking what? of inflation. 75 bucks for a pizza and wings? Disgusting. And now my cholesterol, I, I feel it. I just had this conversation. I'm just feeling the cholesterol. <laughs> 
just creeping up on me. I don't think you so, can feel it, dude. But I will say, I had a couple notes in here. I said, is there a bigger conspiracy in what we live in than the business in our food? Like something that we're actually shielded from, from how it actually works than the business of food. I don't know that if there is. Two things that she said that I have to get your take on before we kind of switch to, uh, maybe switch, maybe not. You, you, you make the call. When she said, if you have anxiety, have you ever thought if that's created from the anxiety that the animal that you're eating and was going through at the time that it was slaughtered? I was like, <laughs> oh, I know, dude, that freaks you. It like totally messes you, totally messes with you. And I need to know if this is true. She said, cancer can't live in your body if there's no animal products in it. Cancer can't live if there's no animal products in your body is the direct quote. And I just need to know if that's true. And I, I mean, listen, <laughs> I got some depth in finance and business. I'm not a fucking doctor, but I have done a lot of like research around this. And there are things like, I mean, they say like decreasing your sugar intake and decreasing your uh, meat ingestion while you are undergoing cancer treatment is really important. And so, I mean... I don't know what the answer is. It's interesting you're bringing this up, though, because next week, guys, we have an unbelievable episode. It is so empowering with Frances Tesmer, who she is uh, aligned with Ralph Global. She's a CEO, and then she's positioned with L'Oreal to make a massive splash in the beauty industry. But she does unbelievable stuff. Like She meets with kings and queens and oil tycoons. She's lived in over 22 countries. She comes from a family of massive, massive wealth. And I was just asking her, like, how do you do what you do at the speed you do it? She only sleeps three, four hours a night, three, four hours a night. We're going to get into that next week. But I think a takeaway from her episode, which comes up next week, and this is that we are machines. We are bodies. Each of our bodies is its own machine. And what's the inputs and outputs and different Difference, science and makeup. It's the most confusing machine in the world. And only you can identify with yourself what will and won't work. But how do we know if a vegan diet isn't going to bring us to the next level in all areas if you haven't tried that input to your machine? Yeah, I mean, such a good point. I can't wait for that episode. Uh, Daniela was one of those people like I want to like of all the guests we've had, when I was thinking and seeing how passionate it was and kind of the look that she gave us in terms of, you know, the business behind food. And that's what's kind of making these changes. Like, give us in a room, give us some drinks. Like, I want to dig into her and find a little bit more about like her thoughts on the industry and education. Um, I thought it was phenomenal. So really, really incredible. What's your take on her, the insight she offered? The, I want the curious Canadian voice of the viewer. Just your thoughts on her career track, the the moves from Nickelodeon to acting to some of the management things. Like, How are you digesting that conversation? Were you wildly impressed, taken aback? What were things you were thinking? Yeah. First off, love Daniela. Would love some more numbers. So, um, and it was funny because she always talked about how, you know, open she was and, and how transparent she wanted to be at a young age of how much money she was making and things. Um, I thought it was incredible, like just finding her path, identifying at an early age that school wasn't for her, like needing to get out and act and perform and, you know, sketchy going to Koreatown to get her GED at 16 so she could get the movie role. Um, I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, my take always goes to like, you know, hopefully we're future parents one day, like, would you ever put your kid in the in the like child model commercials like 
TV game at a young age? Would you would you like kind of expose them to that? I mean, man, I don't know if that's like their passion and that's the direction they want to go. And, you know, there's a line for them to do it. It's tough to uh, tell them no. It's tough to say, don't do that. And you look at like her film debut, I believe it was in the 90s. Like, you know, that's it's just wild to do that. The only thing I'll tell you is just from this media and entertainment world, it's it's tough, man. It is really tough. It's challenging. It's a grind. If you're a day out, you feel like you're 10 days behind. It's just not easy. So I think the big thing is making sure that you're managing your mental health with getting into this world early because it could. it's a tough one, man. It's a really, really tough one. Yeah. It was so interesting to hear her say, because I don't think any of our guests have ever said this, saying, uh, I was peaking in my career and she was in sixth grade. Right, his middle school. Right, she goes. Or, yeah, or, I was kind of peaking in my career. It was sixth grade, and she's like, you know, it was middle school, and I'm missing out on like putting myself in. If it was her parents' shoes, like this girl who's going in sixth grade is having this crazy mental health issues of just not being able to fit in and take a different path. Obviously, so successful, but it's just a really interesting, you know, industry. Or like Low Bosworth making you know twenty five to hundred k an episode. It is a junior in college. Like all these things, you know, it's just it's just really it's fascinating stuff. Josh Peck when he came on saying you know yeah. he was a huge childhood Nickelodeon. He talked about the dollars and cents. It's wild to think about it. And I I go to a therapist who works with a lot of people in in entertainment, and the therapist has pretty much told me you know she works with a lot of industries, and she's like. The people in the entertainment media in any forum, that's how they make money, have the biggest challenges. And she's like, there is only one person I work with that's really has it completely figured out. And their challenges like no other. And I think what's interesting is like, just look at like, look at Britney Spears. It's just so sad. What has occurred from just mental anguish and everything she's gone through? psychological warfare and she and Daniela talked a little bit about like she's self-represented now because she feels like she's been taken advantage of and screwed over in the past and having people speak for her at a young age because she didn't have the interests the interest in the line one question I have for you is she, she said when she started doing victorious she had no time left for her side hustles and because she, Nickelodeon was starting to pull her in different things for like you know doing an interview here going to a concert here do you think at 19 years old when her agent is telling her to do this and her network's telling her to do this that she's getting paid for all that stuff? Or do you think this is like prime example of like, she's under our umbrella, let's kind of take advantage of like her exposure and her and her fame for our power? I think it's a little bit of both. I think when she talked about like, she wanted to go one way, like you said, and her agency was asking her and, and wanting her to go another. I think they're looking at more dollars and quick career advancement than they are at like, happiness and you know best fit etc and that's why in all scenarios you really got to take care of yourself in to back to the point about next week you got to take care of your machine because other people will lead you in the direction they want to lead that's best for them as opposed to what's best for you and so i think she made the right choice sorry to cut you off there i got two quick questions you cut me off whenever you want because i know we got to get going we do how much do you think she was making when her career was peaking in the sixth grade, working for Nickelodeon. Oh, I tough go- ballpark to throw out there at you, but tough ballpark. I will say I'm going to make a guess that in her acting career, Danielle, if you're listening, don't be offended by this guess because it is extremely uneducated. Would have loved if you told us, but it's okay. I respect it. Um, I'm going to say 
she made in a gross around the two, two and a half million dollar mark from all acting gigs in her career. That's my guess. I was going to say two and a half million too. Swear to God. Really? Going off a little bit. Yeah. Like Josh Peck kind of alluded to the, a little bit of this life in Drake and Josh. So yeah, that's, that's what I, that's all the information we have based on former Nickelodeon stars and actors and actresses telling us, you know, what, the, what you can make good money, but it's not, it's not going to be life changing forever money. Um, I think that's my guess. All right. Last question. Someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you have to change career paths tomorrow. You're a TV actor or a film actor. Which are you choosing? So the answer, without a doubt, for me, it's going to be, I'm going TV. I'm going TV because I think if you can get like a modern family type thing where you get seven seasons and the value keeps going up or friends, you are golden. David, I also got to throw this in and I want to send it back to you. I have had many, many of our guests, many of our guests, I'm not going to call them out, listen to the recap. They hear you and I guess their numbers. So you guys go back to the episodes, look at the recaps, and have said, damn, you were right on. So I haven't had anyone yet tell me I was way off yet. So we'll see. We will see. Anything else before we wrap up? No, that's that's great to know. It means that we're doing something right here. <laughs> yes. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Trading Secrets. Hang tight. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and make sure you give us five stars in the reviews. We are collecting people's ideas for what our listeners' names could be. We have Sav Lot who just said that, you know, we should be secret traders or curious traders. Uh, I've heard there are some more. Oh, there's some more in the reviews. Um, there's some people that said that we should be the brokers. Uh, I mean, there's a uh, there's a long list of different um, viewers out there that are giving us five star reviews and then giving us feedback as to what we should call our community. So you tell us in the comments what you think our community should be called. We are here for it, and we are going to make sure that we take care of someone if they give us the name that we call our community. Anything you got, David? Before I call. It? Nope, that's it. Vegan, here we come. Yippee. Vegan, here we come. One week and we're going to commit to getting our cholesterol taken and we're going to share it. We'll do all things on this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Trading Secrets. One you can't afford to miss. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.